Let's start with a little story. Uh, as some of you know in here, Camp Reed is a pretty significant piece of my overall growth and development as a person. Camp Reed is a YMCA camp north of Spokane. Not only did I attend Camp Reed as a camper each summer growing up, but I participated in their leadership development program, in their counselor training program, and then ultimately spent a couple of summers as a full-fledged counselor at Camp Reed. And I actually attribute a lot of my like personally head held values, my worldview in a lot of ways, to what I learned in that place, in my time at Camp Reed. And this includes, in me, a deep value of loyalty. If you have grown up in Spokane or been in Spokane for any amount of time, then you know that there are really only two summer camps in Spokane. There is Camp Reed and there is Camp Spalding. There's certainly Luther Haven and Dartlow and Myvedon and Camp Gifford, but really the two big boys in town are Camp Reed and Camp Spalding. And if you are a Camp Spalding person, then you are fiercely loyal to Camp Spalding. In fact, I have family sitting in the front row that is fiercely loyal to Camp Spalding. I have not spoken to them in 15 years because of this. If you are a Camp Reed person, then you are fiercely loyal to Camp Reed. I was a Camp Reed person from day one. And each year, as I would go as a camper, as I was in their leadership development program, my love for and my commitment to Camp Reed grew deeper. And it often manifested itself while counseling in a consistent effort to make each week as special and as fun as possible for the campers that were in my care for that week. Now, at Camp Reed, my favorite day was Friday. Friday was Camp Olympics Day. Cabins would compete against one another in a variety of sports and games and arts and crafts. And then each week, a set of counselors would be chosen to plan and orchestrate the Olympic torch ceremony that would begin the festivities. On this particular Friday, this Olympics, Camp Olympics Day, alongside my great friend Nick and Landon, we were chosen as the three counselors to create the torching ceremony. Now, before I get into exactly what happened, I do want to take a singular moment to pause and just add this caveat. I was 19 years old when I was making these decisions. And in no way was my prefrontal cortex fully developed at this point, okay? So please remember that as you think through man, does that guy really have adult responsibilities, okay? So, after about, uh, you know, like a 30-minute planning session after breakfast, we had realized that in the history of Camp Reed, no single group of counselors had ever tried the human torch ceremony. And so we set our sights on perhaps what was the dumbest and also the greatest torching ceremony of all time at Camp Reed. Obviously, Nick was selected to be the torch. He was the smallest of the three of us, and it was easiest to dress him in Camp Reed clothes that had been left over from the lost and found. So we put him in multiple pairs of sweatpants, multiple pairs of socks and hooded sweatshirts, 
And our idea was to parade the wooden torch around camp through different cabins, and then culminating in Landon and I carrying the torch down to the dock, where Nick was going to be on the diving board. And with much pomp and circumstance, we would lightly touch the torch to the back of his hooded sweatshirt. He would burst into glorious flames and then do a flip into the lake to put himself out. Now, we knew that this was kind of edgy, right? Therefore, we told nobody of our plan. And in this short period of 30 minutes, we had convinced ourselves that this possible experience outweighed the potential risk. Now, what happened next is what I'm really not proud of in this story. Because after seeing Nick in multiple layers of clothing, we decided that a little accelerant to the clothing so as to ensure that the clothes would really take a flame was a good idea. And so we grabbed some gasoline from the utility shed and we doused Nick's entire body from the neck down with gasoline. We did, however, pull the drawstring so tight that only his eyes could see out through the hooded sweatshirt, for safety reasons, of course. The smell of gasoline was thick in the air as the torch was being carried down from upper camp and kids were lining up along the waterfront, not sure what they were about to watch. And as Landon and I grabbed the torch at the dock, Nick was poised and ready, all of us, with a firm belief that he would be fine, fully engulfed in flames for the short one to two seconds that it would take for him to flip off the diving board. And at no point throughout any of this planning, throughout the procession, throughout any of it, did we actually stop to ask ourselves, should we actually do this? Russ mentioned last week that we started a new series called A Hidden Life, kind of discussing values, qualities possessed by common people to live uncommon lives. We're looking at the little, the forgotten, like the mundane things of life that when displayed over time, create extraordinary people. Today we're talking about loyalty. Loyalty is defined as giving or showing firm and constant support or allegiance to a person or to an institution. Loyalty or faithfulness, how it's often spoken about in uh, the biblical text, is one of the most consistently spoken about and highly valued traits and characteristics in the entirety of the biblical story. Wisdom literature speaks to it in Psalm 2121, saying, he who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. The prophetic literature indicates that God actually might desire loyalty more than sacrifice. Hosea 6.6 says, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, this verse alone creates significant ramifications for the Old Testament sacrificial system and even how we might think about the cross, but that is an entirely different topic for another time. All that to say loyalty is critically important to the biblical story. 
When you think about the whole narrative, it's really kind of this tug of war between the people of God struggling with their loyalty. And yet God, always loyal to his people. But loyalty is a little bit more complex than just having it. And this is the reason I started with the story from Camp Reed. Loyalty is one of those interesting qualities in that too much loyalty or unquestioned loyalty is not always a good thing. It's okay and it's admirable to be loyal to good things and to good people. It can become very destructive to place your loyalty into something or someone over the health of others or yourself. In my 19-year-old brain, my loyalty to camp, my loyalty to its events, my loyalty to my own reputation as a creative and crazy camp counselor clouded my judgment and placed one of my closest friends in pretty significant harm's way. It wasn't an issue of my loyalty, right? It was an issue of where I placed my loyalty in that time. And I believe this is really the crux of the situation. American novelist John Barr states, all men are loyal, but their objects of allegiance are at best approximate. You see, loyalty is built into the fabric of humanity. By our very nature, we are loyal people, but our loyalties are often misguided. Our loyalties are often wholly centered on ourselves. And so the same stories we read in the scriptures seem to play themselves out again and again and again and again in our context. But there is a character that I think is loyal in a different way, in a way that might help us to see loyalty with new eyes, with a refreshed vision. So we're doing a little bit of Advent in June, all right? Joseph was betrothed to Mary, and when she pulls him aside and delivers the unbelievable news that she's pregnant, the scripture says that he is a just man, that he decides to quietly divorce her so as not to bring further shame upon her. But Gabriel the angel intervenes during a dream and tells Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And I think we have this picture of Joseph and Mary as being deeply, deeply in love. And it can seem obvious to us when reading from this perspective that Joseph should have just trusted the woman that he was about to marry. He should have just trusted that it was a miraculous pregnancy, that in this situation between Joseph and Mary, that love was the answer and that his undying commitment to his soon-to-be wife should have just overcome this news that he received. But let us remember what was really going on, that marriage in this context was not about falling in love and finding your soul's counterpart in another human being. It was a legal contract between families, far more than it was loving union between individuals. Their marriage was likely decided by their fathers 
as a way to consolidate what little power and wealth each of these families had. Joseph, likely around the same age I was when I was planning to set my friend on fire, and Mary was even younger, right? They would have wielded little to no influence in this marriage decision. And so in this way, I think it's fair to say that Joseph didn't really have any skin in the game at this point. In fact, the expectation would have been to terminate the contract. For the law in this time permitted divorce in this situation, and Mary would have been subject to public stoning for her transgression. To stay with Mary would have meant that Joseph would avail himself and his family to unbelievable cultural shame. He would knowingly be marrying an adulterer, and both families would likely be ostracized from the larger community. Now, if Joseph was unquestionably loyal to his law, to his family, to himself, then he would have gone through with a quiet divorce. It was the culturally safe and acceptable decision to make. It was actually the way of self-preservation. But Joseph didn't make the decision that most benefited him or his family of origin. No, rather, he displays unwaveringly unwavering loyalty to God, showing allegiance to the call that the Father placed on him to stay with Mary and to be the earthly father of Jesus, to step into a story that he probably never truly imagined for himself. Now, when I read the nativity story, I don't read about a man's deep love for his soon-to-be wife overcoming all obstacles. I read a story about a man so loyal to God that he avails himself to love Mary to the best of his ability in this situation. I think Joseph's story arc illustrates for us what it looks like to be loyal to the right things. So the natural question that should flow is, what do we do when we stand at a crossroads, right? When we're pulled in seemingly opposite directions. How might we be a people that lives lives loyal to the right thing? Let me offer a few ideas. First is this. Loyalty should be tested and refined. Trusting that the things that are good and right will stand the test of time. You see, loyalty simply for loyalty's sake is not always a good thing. Now, there is, being, there is a difference between questioning your loyalties and being fickle. Being fickle is allowing your ever-changing emotions to influence your priorities, while questioning your loyalty is the process of evaluating the veracity or the truth of the very priorities you hold, and those are two very different things. My grandfather was a Coke drinker, Only Coke in his fridge. If we were at a restaurant that served Pepsi, he would just simply choose to drink water. He was incredibly loyal to the product line. Now, if he did the shopping, which I'm sure he did not do any of the shopping, but if he did, it was very possible at one point that he would show up to a store to see 12 packs of Pepsi on sale, $1 less 
than 12 packs of Coke. And if he were a fickle man in that moment, standing at that crossroads, he might have filled his cart with 12 packs of Pepsi as his emotions about the savings would shift his desires, would shift his priorities in that moment. But my grandfather was a Coke man, and this would have never happened. Now, I can appreciate his loyalty to a brand over and above all the different options that he had. But at some point in questioning your loyalty to something, you have to ask, is this thing that I'm loyal to even good? Drinking a soda is certainly not the end of the world, but there is healthier options than filling your fridge with Coke, right? We can all agree to that. So take this incredibly safe illustration and extrapolate its truth to your work situation. Or its truth to the toxic friendship that you're in. Or its truth to your political leanings. If you were willing to question your loyalties, you might find that there are things that you're loyal to that are no longer helpful that are no longer good. Brian McLaren speaks to this, but around issues of far greater importance than soda when he says, in religion, as in parenthood, uncritical loyalty to our ancestors may implicate us in an injustice against our descendants, imprisoning them in the heirs of our ancestors. Sentimentality, control, guilt, Power, these are all reasons that can drive unhealthy and destructive loyalties in our lives if they go left unchecked. Taking time to identify these things, ask yourself, why am I loyal to this? Questioning its virtue, its goodness is a critical and it should be an ongoing process. So fight the temptation to be fickle but wrestle with your loyalties, knowing that that which is good will stand the test of time. The second is this. Loyalty is an outward action of an inward posture. Loyalty to the other has become a lost art in our culture. I believe it's been co-opted by loyalty to personal choice, to individual freedom, and so our inward posture of immediate gratification is continually informed by scrolling and clicks and it militates against our call to be loyal to certain and specific things outside of ourselves. But real loyalty cannot be a word we say disassociated from the actions of our lives. This disassociation was in fact Joseph's first inclination, right? I'll be loyal to Mary in word for her protection, but then I'll quietly divorce her for my protection. But his loyalty to God prevailed and his actions followed. The alignment of an inward posture and an outward action is a necessity for true loyalty because loyalty is not something that can ever be divided. I think this is what precipitated the bitter weeping of Peter after the rooster crowed a third time, 
Earlier in the evening, we see this interaction between Peter and Jesus after Jesus foretells how all of his disciples will scatter and run away. And Peter confidently says in Matthew 26, though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus says to him, I imagine with deep compassion, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Classic Peter, doubling down on his loyalty, says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter's issue was his divided loyalty. His inward posture was not matched by his outward action. And in hearing the rooster the third time, I think he finally realized that the only thing he was truly loyal to was himself. To embody the characteristics of loyalty is, at its very core, a prioritization of importance and an intentionality of actions. The alignment or unalignment of these two things is on display for those in our lives to see. And what they see is intrinsically linked to the faith that we claim to profess. My last one. Loyalty is costly. This is so well exemplified in the story of Joseph. To be loyal to the law, to be loyal to the community, to be loyal to what was deemed culturally right and relevant, that would have been the easy thing for Joseph. It was certainly the path of least resistance. But loyalty to the call of God in his life, to take Mary as his wife, to be a stepfather, to endure the cultural shame, to give up his life to protect the Christ child, these things were costly. In a world driven by domination and control, sustained by frenzy and fear, in a world that is utterly broken, the things we are most most loyal to should not only set us apart, but they should be costly. Romans 12, 1 through 2, we all know this, but I think it's worth reading again, says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing. You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Stanley Hauras says this, whenever a people are bound together in loyalty to a story that includes something as strange as the Sermon on the Mount, we are put at odds with the world. You see, when some are loyal to country, we are loyal to kingdom. When some are loyal to amassing wealth, we are loyal to generosity. When some are loyal to the idea of marriage as a sexual and romantic commodity, we are loyal to covenant. When some are loyal to consumption, we are loyal to sacrifice. And when some are loyal to controlling power, we are loyal to a humble servant who gave everything so that we could be truly free. 
There is not an easy way to put it other than saying to be loyal to Christ and his call in your life is costly. And to be loyal to anything less is at best a waste of your time and at worst, destructive. I could have learned about the destructive reality of misguided loyalty the hard way. But just as we were about to step out on that dock, maybe by an act of the spirit, but probably by the stench of gasoline, our camp director abruptly emerged through the crowd and stood right in front of us. And very quietly, so as not to alarm the young onlookers, asked the simple question, you're not planning to do what I think you are. <laughs> Needless to say, the human torch is still but a dream unrealized. <laughs> By our very creation, we are loyal people. It's not a virtue that needs to be learned, nor a characteristic we need to cultivate. It's built in the very fabric of humanity. And our time needs to be spent doing the work to make sure that we are loyal to the right things. That we have people around us necessary to point out when our loyalties are misplaced or our actions don't align. The work is not easy, but it is a work that leads to freedom. And take hope in the reality that we do not journey without the perfect model of loyalty the resurrected king whose actions always aligned with his posture, whose loyalty to you and to me was costly unto death. The scripture is full of statements and pictures and stories about the covenantal faithfulness and loyalty of our God to his people. And so in our weakness, may this be our strength and guiding light. Amen. Let's stand. I'll leave you with a benediction. New community, thank you for being with us on this very, very hot Sunday. Go now as the Spirit of God has invited you to be a people of grace, to be a people of deep loyalty, to be a people who pursues the greater good regardless of cost, and to be a people who love. May the Holy Spirit lead and guide us this week in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace this Sunday. Have a wonderful week.